you very much. That's beautiful. Hello again, everyone, and happy Sunday. And it's a great way to start off the Lord's Day message with some beautiful music and worship and honor to our King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful day you've given us. Thank you for protecting us, not only in the physical world where you're the author of all life, but also thank you for protecting us in the spirit world. Lord, we need your hedge of protection around us all the time. And Lord, that you'd bless our message today from your word from the book of Acts. And Lord, protect my tongue as I speak from your word. Forgive the sin in my life that your word is not hindered in the spirit world. And Jesus, we just want to do you honor. We want to thank you for enduring the cross and Holy Spirit for indwelling us, all of us Christians in this room today. And we love you, God. We want to honor you more. Amen. Today's message is entitled The Day of Pentecost. And this is perhaps the most important day in the new church's life because this is where the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and really gave an unction on all of the Christians. This is considered the beginning of the New Testament church. But it really has a parallel when we look in the Old Testament. On the Jewish calendar, there are seven Jewish festivals. They also have a festival called Pentecost. And in Hebrew, it's Shavuot. On their calendar, they have the Passover lamb, which is sacrificed before the evening. Then their first day after the Passover is a convocation, which means it's a gathering of people to honor the Lord. Then that starts a time frame, a countdown of seven Sabbaths. And that convocation would be on the Sabbath starting. So there's 49 days after that. The total is 50 days. Well, Pentecost means 50. That's where we get that day on our calendar from. And if we look at how Jesus went to the cross, he is our Passover lamb. He shed his blood for all of our sins. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no washing away of our sins. And if we look at what Christ has done on the cross, there is no more sacrifices in Jerusalem. He was the last final sacrifice. If you look at their calendar and look at our calendar, indeed, he fulfilled all of Scripture. And it's really beautiful when we look at this. So Jesus, he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And that would be the day after the Sabbath. That would start the 49 days. And if you include the Sabbath, that would be 50 days. So Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And then the Bible teaches us that he walked on the earth for 40 more days. And then he ascended into the heaven. So counting those days, Pentecost would be another nine days forward. It would be Easter Sunday. And then the 40 days, that's 41 days. And then nine days, or depending on how you count it, it might be 40 and 10. But Jesus was fulfilling the scripture with Pentecost being that 50th day 
when the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to us. And we're going to look at this in more detail. The text verses for today's message are from the book of Acts chapter 2. Now this is a very long chapter, so we can't look at all of those verses in detail. So we're going to look at eight of those verses. On your handout on the cover page, we're going to look at Acts verses chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then 32 and 33, and then finally verses 38 and 39. So I will read those now for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues. And as the Spirit gave them utterance, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So skipping down to verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Today we're going to look briefly at three points. The first point is we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we submit to God's will. All of us, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. But we're not necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us have gone camping, and as we leave the campsite, we're supposed to put out the campfire. So the easiest way to do that is to get a bucket of water and pour it over the fire to quench the fire. And the Bible says the same thing happens with the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we quench the power of the Spirit in our life. So we're not necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit until we do the Father's will. Because as we do the will of the Father, we're not walking in sin. The second point today would be we must testify of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. All of us Christians here in this room, God has given us a great commission. And that great commission is to share the gospel of Christ. And that's our testimony that we indeed are also saved. The third point today then would be salvation comes from repentance and conversion. And that means our sins will be blotted out from God's record. And that is only through accepting Jesus as our Lord, God, and Savior. And that is by his propitiation, by his fulfilling God's will on the cross, he becomes the payment for our sins. The first point, 
We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we submit to God's will. Acts 2.1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is the beginning of the New Testament church. All of the disciples and the women who had ministered unto Christ, they had gathered in one room. And we're going to see in one of the verses, there were approximately 120 people in this room. So it must have been a sizable room. Now if you note there, a paragraph from Albert Barnes from his book on theology, and he explains a little bit about Pentecost. And I'm going to read this. And it's kind of what I summarized at the beginning of this message, talking about these feasts. The word Pentecost is a Greek word signifying the 50th part of a thing. Among the Jews, it was applied to one of their three great feasts, which began on the 50th day after the Passover. This feast was reckoned from the 16th day of the month Abib, or April, or the second day of the Passover. So remember, there's the Passover, and then the next day the counting starts. The Paschal Lamb was slain on the 14th of the month at even, at evening time. And that's where Jesus died on the cross, and at 3 o'clock he gave up the ghost. He had fulfilled the work of the Lord, of the Father, and you remember Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body and they put it in the tomb before sundown. And sundown is around 6 o'clock in the evening and that's when the next day starts on the Jewish calendar. The Paschal Lamb was slain on the 14th of the month at even. On the 15th of the month was the Holy Convocation. That would be their Saturday, that Sabbath. The proper beginning of the feast on the 16th was the offering of the first fruits of the harvest. That would be our Sunday. That's the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the leader of all of us Christians. And from that day, they were to reckon seven weeks. So seven more weeks would be 49 more days. 49 days to the feast called the Feast of Pentecost. Their Feast of Pentecost, their Shavuot, is also our Pentecost Sunday. So that it occurred 50 days after the first day of the feast of the Passover. Isn't this amazing? The way God's calendar sinks where he fulfills all of the Old Testament scriptures. This feast was also called the Feast of Weeks from the circumstance that it followed a succession of weeks, seven weeks. It was also a harvest festival and was accordingly called the Feast of Harvest. Thank you, Albert Barnes, for that study. Okay, let's look at these actual verses from the Old Testament where Jesus is fulfilling these scriptures. Exodus chapter 34, verse 22. And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Numbers 28, 26, and 27a. Also, in the day of first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering unto the Lord, Jesus was the new meat offering. He fulfilled the sacrifice. After your weeks be out, in other words, these next seven weeks be finished, you shall have a holy invocation. You shall do no servile work. This is the 50th day, their Pentecost, our Pentecost. 
But you shall offer the burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Jesus was the fulfillment of the sweet savor unto the Lord. Only Jesus' sacrifice is acceptable for our sins. That's why we need to receive Jesus as our Savior in order to enter into heaven. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5. In the 14th day of the first month, at even, at evening time, is the Lord's Passover. So their April 14th is their Passover. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, that would be our Sunday, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh day shall you number 50 days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. What a beautiful fulfillment. Now let's jump into the New Testament from Acts chapter 1. Verses 4 and 5. And this is Jesus speaking before he goes into heaven. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So depending on how you count this, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come not many days, which will be nine days, or ten days if you're counting the day of his resurrection. Either way, it's on the 50th day. That is the day of Pentecost. Same chapter, Acts 1, verse 14 and 15. These all continued with one accord, in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. The number of the names together were about 120 people. So Jesus, before he ascended, he says, you stay in Jerusalem. And they gathered in this big room, 120 people, including Jesus' mother, Mary. All of the apostles were there. And then the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, from our text verse today. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Rushing wind can be scary. There was a tornado that went through Lynchburg just a few weeks ago. Actually, I guess two months ago now. I grew up in the Midwest where there's a lot of tornadoes. Our farm, we had a place where we could go for protection. And indeed, in many farms, they actually have concrete bunkers where you can jump into the hole and they close the cap. So the wind can be very, very powerful. These people are sitting in this room and they're praying, they're in supplication to the Lord. And it says there's a mighty rushing wind and it filled the house. I think this was a little bit scary for the people there. Now Genesis 2.7 says God is our breath of life. In Genesis 2.7, he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him. Let's look at this verse. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, 
and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We also see another example of the Lord's presence. This is at the dedication of Solomon's temple from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that's the temple they had just finished construction of, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. When the Lord's glory is present, it's a very significant day. And these people were having the privilege, really, of seeing the Lord's presence at the dedication of the temple. And they all fell on their face in reverence and in fear. Do you remember last week we studied the um, transfiguration of Jesus? And it says, when the presence of the Father descended upon that mountain, that Peter, James, and John fell over on their face in fear. If the Lord's presence filled this room, each one of us would most likely fall on our face in fear. The next verse is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is explaining and defining, describing this same dedication of the temple that Solomon was dedicating on this day, but it's from a different perspective. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, he was praying with thousands of people, and they were making sacrifices of thousands of animals, that the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house, and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Again, just envision if you were there witnessing this. Typically, the priest would light the fire to burn the sacrifice. Here it says the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. There were many animals that were sacrificed that day. This would be Again, an event, if we were witnessing this, would cause fear in our heart. And yet the Lord says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to thoroughly understand Jesus and his walk in our life, we have to fear the Lord in reverence. John chapter 3, verse 8, again speaks of this wind of God, in this case the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When I drove here today, I wanted to go over these verses, and I was sitting in my car, but as you know, it's very warm outside. So I put the windows down in my car, and there was a beautiful wind. It was just blowing across my chest and my face, and it was so refreshing. It's hot outside, but the air was cool, just blowing across me. I almost fell asleep, actually. It was tempting. But we don't know where the wind comes from. And here it says, the wind blows where it lists. You hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes and where it's going to go. And God is saying, that's the way our redemption, our salvation is. The Holy Spirit works in our life, and he gives us the breath of eternal life, and then he moves on. 
Now, he indwells us, but his work is never finished. He's always looking for new people to save. Back to our text verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. So envision this. There's 120 people in this room, and now it's like a tongue of fire, and it comes and descends over their head, and it's cloven. It has a split in it. Everybody in this room must have been amazed. Because you couldn't see the one above you, but you could see everybody else's cloven tongue above their head. And you knew the presence of the Lord was there because of this mighty rushing wind. Deuteronomy 4.24, this is Old Testament. It says, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. The Lord is a consuming fire. That's why on the judgment day, Unless we're saved, unless we're in Christ, we will be consumed in the lake of fire as punishment. However, if we're saved, this fire of the Lord will become our source of power, our source of redemption. And do you notice this verse says that Jesus is a jealous God? When we think about being jealous, we think of that as being sinful. And in our life it is. For the Lord, when he's jealous, he's jealous of his holiness. He's jealous of his purity. And he's jealous. He wants us to stay clean in the Lord. And he doesn't want us to sin. And it's a good kind of jealousy that the Lord has for his spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist speaking when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me, this is speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Jesus shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This fire of the Lord is very significant in a Christian's life. It's the unction that we have in the spirit world to serve God. Hebrews 12.29, this is New Testament, also speaks of the fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Fire is one of those things, as long as you give it something to burn, it will never go out. Fire will continually burn as long as there's a source to burn with. God is a consuming fire. He will consume the evil. And that evil will never go away in the lake of fire. That's why the consuming of the fire in the lake of fire is eternal. It's forever and ever. Back to our text verse today, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So each one of these people in this room were saved. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were clean before the Lord because they had been under supplication and they were in prayer. Perhaps for as long as eight or nine days waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And do you notice it says they began to speak with other tongues? 
one of the commentaries points out that at this time in Jerusalem, there could have been 14 or 15 different nationalities because of the holidays. There would have been many people that were speaking different languages. And the purpose for speaking in tongues is to witness for the Lord. Probably no one in this room knows Mandarin or Japanese or maybe Russian. So if an individual came in and they wanted to hear about the, the gospel, God could give us that power to speak their language. We would speak their language and not knowing specifically that language in part. Also, if you speak in tongues and you don't know what that tongue is saying, there should be an interpreter. Those are the proper ways to speak in tongues. Now, this is kind of not the subject for today, but there are many churches where they speak in tongues and it's really not benefiting anybody. So you really have to question if that's honoring God. Isaiah 28:11, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Isaiah was written 700 years before Pentecost. And yet he's already prophesying that these people, as they start the new church of the Lord, they will speak in another tongue. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. So we will have the power of God in our life. At this time, these new Christians, as the church was growing, God allowed them to do specific miracles. And it was a way for the Lord to grow the church. He was very protective of his church. And if you remember Ananias and Sapphira, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord took their life on that day. Now they were probably saved, but the Lord was very protective of his baby church. Just like a mom and a dad would be very protective of their newborn baby. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 10 and 11. This is speaking of new Christians. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophesying or preaching. To another, discerning of spirits. Some people have discernment. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work that one and the self-same Holy Spirit, dividing to every man severally as the Lord wills. All of us in this room that are Christians were part of the body of Christ. But just like as your body doesn't have just one big eye or one brain, we have ears, eyes, nose, feet, fingers. We have many parts to our body. And that's a picture of the body of Christ. Each one of us that's a Christian, God has given us gifts to serve in his kingdom. And some have the gift of prophecy, some have the gift of discernment, some have the gift of giving, some have the gift of love, where they can see a person's need and they can reach out to them. All of us Christians, we have gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, dropping down to verse 27 and 28. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set in the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helpers, governments. That's the formal body of the church. We need deacons and people to run the administrative staff. And finally, he has diversities of tongues. These are some of the gifts that the Lord gives us on the day of our salvation. Our gift is manifest on the day we're saved. Remember Paul in Romans chapter 1, he said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. He wanted to speak to this church in Rome and see people come into the kingdom and be saved and then recognize their gifts that will be fully manifested and perfected when they go into the heavenly kingdom on the day they pass and have a glorified body. Point number two today. We must testify of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Back to our text verse. Now we're dropping down to chapter 2 of Acts, verse 32. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. This is the apostle Peter speaking. And he's saying to the listeners, we are all witnesses. And at this point, he's speaking in Jerusalem, and most of the people listening to him are Hebrews, they're Jews. There are some Gentiles, but primarily Jews. And he's saying, we are witnesses, just like you are. Many of you were there the day Jesus was crucified. Luke chapter 24, verse 47 and 48. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. The church at Pentecost was in Jerusalem. That's where God started the spread of the gospel. And as these first Christians became persecuted, they would leave and go into Judea, which is south of Jerusalem. And then they would go into Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem. And as they became persecuted there, they kept on moving and sharing the gospel until it even came to America until it even goes as far as China and Asia and the tip of South America, all the way up to Alaska and Russia. The gospel has spread all over the world, and many times it spreads because of persecution. People flee, and where they go, they say, well, why did you run? Well, then they'll say the reason they ran. It's because of the Lord and their faith. Luke chapter 24, dropping down to verse 49. This is Jesus speaking. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tear you in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is sent from the Father. Every one of us that's a Christian, the Father drew us to Jesus. Jesus, of course, he went to the cross. He died for our sins. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us eternal life. You who were quickened in trespasses and sins are quickened. Remember 
Jesus said to Nicodemus, except the man be born of water, which is a natural birth, and of the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. All of the Trinity is involved with each one of our salvations. The Father draws us to Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit gives us eternal life in the spirit world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, south of Jerusalem, and in Samaria, north of Jerusalem, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. Our great commission is to go teach all nations. That's why if you're in a church that is supporting missionaries, praise God. That's God's great commission to send preachers and teachers around the world. Also, it's incumbent upon us to pray for those people who are serving the Lord around the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. This is speaking of the witnesses who saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. After that, he was seen of above 500 people at one time, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, was written by Paul to the church at Corinth. So this is perhaps 55 A.D., sometime in that time frame. And at this point, Jesus has already ascended into heaven 20, 25 years before. But Paul is reminding them, many of those witnesses there, that they saw Jesus. And he says, do you remember when Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time? Now, some of us have died. Some of us Christians have fallen asleep. But you still remember. And this is the testimony. Just think about it. If 500 of us people saw something happen and a judge said we need some witnesses, he wouldn't say we need 500 people to come in and testify on this. He might stop at three or four. But 500 is overwhelming. And also remember, Christians were being persecuted. Why would the apostles die for a lie? That would be crazy. But when they saw the Lord resurrected, they said, yes, I am willing to die because Jesus proved he's God by coming to life on Easter Sunday morning. You know, Muhammad's still in the grave. Buddha is still in the grave. All of the great philosophers are still in the grave. Only Jesus is resurrected, and only Jesus' tomb is empty. Back to the text verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed for this which you now see and hear. This is the apostle Peter preaching, and he's telling them, God has given us the Holy Spirit and he shed this Holy Spirit upon us. And it says, you now see and you now hear the evidence. 
These people that are speaking in tongues, they don't know these languages. This is proof of the Holy Spirit working in their life. Psalm chapter 18, verse 35. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Do you today, do you have Jesus' shield of salvation? Are you protected in the spirit world by his blood covering your sins? The psalmist is saying, Thou hast given me the shield of your salvation. Only Jesus can provide us true spiritual life salvation. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. When you read the Gospels, do you sometimes get a little bit frustrated, maybe a little bit amused that sometimes the apostles, they just don't get it? It's like, this is so clear. Why don't you understand? And many times Jesus, after he had left Jerusalem, he was teaching the apostles that he had to go to Jerusalem to die. And he said, after three days, I will raise from the dead. Even after he was crucified on the cross, when he left the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Salome had gone to the tomb and the angels had said, go back to Jerusalem and tell the apostles, he's risen. It says, when they went and told the apostles, they still didn't believe. Sometimes we are hard of heart to believe. We can look at the apostles as an example, if they lived and walked with Jesus for three years and could have a hard heart, sometimes we need to see if we have a hard heart. And here Jesus in John chapter 14, he's reminding them, after I die and ascend into heaven, I will send the comforter. And he will then remind you of all of these things we talked about for three years. He will bring them back to remembrance. Then you will fully understand. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And this is again speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did God give you all of these gifts? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying, for the uplifting of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian in this room today, God gave you at least one gift. Many times he gives you multiple gifts because as you honor God with one gift, you're going to find out he gave you another gift. Perhaps he gave you the gift of love. And as you serve the church family, maybe he gives you the gift of giving. And then he develops that into the gift of discernment. The more we serve the Lord, the more we uncover those treasures that he has given us in our life. The third point today, salvation requires repentance to be converted to have your sins blotted out. Are you saved today? You have to repent 
from your sins. And that means turning from your sin. That does not mean I believe, but I can continue to live in my sin. There's a false gospel in America today that says all you need to do is believe. You don't need to repent. And one of the biggest preachers of that lie is a guy named Stephen Anderson in Arizona. And he has thousands of followers on the Internet. He says you don't have to repent. And yet Jesus' first message after he was baptized Repent. John the Baptist said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to repent. And that means forsake your sins. We're going to look at a few verses from that. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some people take the baptism part of this verse out of context. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a public testimony that you have received Jesus as your Lord and God. It does not save you. That's another false gospel that says you need to believe and also be baptized. Because here's an example. Remember the thief on the cross? The one that repented? And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't get baptized. The Roman soldiers didn't take him off the cross because he was a believer. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Here again, the Lord is saying, once you're saved, make a public testimony of your salvation. At the time of Christ, Caesar was considered the little G God. And if a Roman soldier came into a city and said, here's a statue of Caesar, everybody come out and bow down before God, a Christian that would not bow down could be put to death. In the same light, when somebody was publicly baptized, and these were public baptisms, if the Roman soldiers saw that, they could potentially be putting themselves, their life, at risk. So baptism was very important in the scripture verses, but it is not something that saves you. Because remember, baptism is a work, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We are saved through the power of God, His Spirit. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You see that verse? It doesn't say, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. It says, if you believe not, you're damned. We have to believe with a saving faith. That belief means faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he that comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Many times we have to look for the Lord. We have to pursue the Lord to find him. Because he is that precious pearl that we should search for in our life.
2 Corinthians 7.10. This speaks of repentance. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation and not to be repented of. Once you're saved, you can't turn away and lose your salvation. This verse does not say godly sorrow works repentance to salvation to be baptized. It says works repentance to salvation. But you notice how it ends. The sorrow of the world works death. We have eternal hope. Our hope is the Lord in heaven. The people of the world, they don't have the godly hope that we have. Back to our text verses, the last one here today, Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter is speaking here to the Jews, to the Jewish leaders, and he's saying the promise is unto you, but more than that, it's unto your children. How many of you as Christians in this room have raised up godly seed? You taught your children from when they were just little that Jesus loves them. Yes, I see lots of hands. God wants us to teach our children. But also look at this verse. It says, to all that are far off. In the physical world, Lynchburg, Virginia is far away from Jerusalem. But in the spirit world, everyone who is not saved is afar off. And they need to draw nigh unto the Lord. They need to come close to God. And once you're saved, then you are in the family. And the Holy Spirit indeed indwells your body. And we're going to look at that. Isaiah, again, 700 years before Christ. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Are you thirsty for the Lord today? God says he will pour his water into your life. And floods upon the dry ground. Not just a little cup of water. A flood on your dry soul. God has as much water of life as you need to be flourishing in his kingdom. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. That's a promise. God says, train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart. And that's really, it's not a specific promise. What that is, it's a truth. If you look at people who teach their children the ways of God when they're small, and then you look at those people as adults, many times they are following the Lord. And God will bless you, and not only your children, but as grandparents, you now should be praying and teaching your grandchildren. My mom has great-grandchildren. And she does pray for them. She tells me, this morning I prayed so and so for such and such. And everybody in this room that's a Christian, you can pray not only for your children, but your grandchildren, and perhaps you even have great-grandchildren at this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified. Why do we preach Christ crucified? Because we're all sinners. There's not a just man upon earth 
that doeth good and sinneth not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior. We need a sacrifice for our sins. Because if we don't have a payment for our sin, every sin, by the way, has a cost, a price. If we don't have a payment for that sin, we can't get into heaven. And we will be sent into the lake of fire to pay for those sins. And that's why Christ was crucified. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's why we preach Christ crucified. When I was a young man, I was kind of like a gearhead. I liked strong cars, and I bought a Trans Am, and I tricked out the engine, and it was very powerful. I mean, not compared to today. It maybe had 450 horsepower. Now cars you can buy from the dealership that have 700 horsepower. So things are a little bit crazy today. As a young man, I liked things that were powerful. Do you know God gives us the power of God that we can have? The Bible says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes. To the Jew first. He's preaching to the Jews primarily, but also to the Greek. And if you're not Jewish background, you're a Greek. And here it says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. Today, most people that have a Jewish background, they reject Jesus as their Messiah. And it says, unto the Greeks foolishness. Most people out there in Lynchburg today, if you were to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, truly to understand that, they would go, I don't need that. I'm too busy. To them, it's foolishness. But it says here in this verse, but unto them which are called, remember the Father draws us, calls us to the Son, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To be saved, we have to intellectually grasp. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God in your life. So we have to intellectually understand we're sinners. But then it's a heart condition. We have to love the Lord. And the last verse today, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All of us have a physical body. And God wants us because he indwells us as Christians. He doesn't want us sinning. He doesn't want us watching bad movies or saying bad things with our mouth or thinking bad thoughts or having bad attitudes or having our feet carry us to bad places. There are many things we can do in the flesh that are sinful. Almost any one of the Ten Commandments, when we break that, we're doing it in the flesh somehow. God says, don't do that. I'm indwelling you. You're not your own. You bought with a price. I paid a down payment for you to enter into heaven. He is the ransom paid for our soul. He has redeemed us. That's why we call him Redeemer. 
He's Lord God, Savior, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, Messiah. And he says, in your body and your spirit, which are God's. All of us were born and all of us will die. It's appointed on man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Every one of us will have to give an account to the Lord for the deeds done in our body. We will even have to give an account for every idle word we speak. Idle means they're not productive words. Most of the things that I say during the day, they're not really productive. Praise God that I can come here on Sunday and share the word of God with you because this is productive. The Bible says, my word will not return void. If I were just to come in here and just read scripture for a half hour and then walk out, God says his word will not return void. This would be productive in the kingdom of God. This is a beautiful passage of scripture that we went over today because Pentecost was the birth of the church, of the New Testament church. Now, people were saved in the Old Testament through faith, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Sarah, by faith Abel. He prepared a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. All of the Old Testament saints were saved by faith. And the same thing with us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. My prayer today would be if there's somebody in this room who is not saved, that today would be the day that they're born again. That they would submit themselves to the Lord. And as we go out this week, many of us have family members that we know are not saved. We know they're not walking with the Lord. Let's lift them up before the Lord in prayer. Because it's a spiritual battle that most of us are going through. For the most part in America, we live comfortably. We're in an air-conditioned environment. And we have food, plenty of food. We have nice clothes. I'm going to get into a nice car to drive when I leave today. We're comfortable in America. But there's a spiritual battle out there. And we are the warriors for Christ. So let's give God our best in this upcoming week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we can look into it every Sunday and actually every day. That we can take your Bible and read some scriptures and be blessed mightily by them. And Father, thank you for sending Jesus to go to the cross to die for us Christians. And Jesus, thank you for being faithful. You fulfilled the will of the Lord at the cross. And in fact, you said, it is finished. There will be no more sacrifices for our sins. You are the perfect Lamb of God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here today with us in this room. And as we go out this week, Lord, that we would remember that we are not our own, but that we are yours, children of God, and that we will serve you in the Holy Spirit power on our life. And Lord, we just want to thank you. We want to praise you, Jesus, for being the one true God. And we love you. Amen. So you are dismissed. Thank you, everyone, for attending. And happy Sunday.